the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finley. We've got a really good show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we'll be doing a rebroadcast with author Rifka Goldstein, who wrote a book called Creating a Life That Matters. So you'll turn your life into one that matters. In the second half hour of the show, we'll devote some time to the beginning of the book of Exodus, because the portion of the week is Shmos, Exodus 1-1. We've got wonderful music all throughout the show, and a dynamic is a really cool story at the end. So why don't we go right to Rivka Goldstein. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. I have online Rivka Goldstein has written a book, Creating a Life That Matters, How to Live and Love with Meaning and Purpose. Rivka is a Harvard graduate. And she currently is, I'm pulling up her bio, just a second. And she is a relations coach helping men and women navigate the world of dating, marriage, parenting, family, and step-family relationships. A native of Singapore. And that's uh, as far as we're going to go as far as that. If anybody else wants to see any more about her bio, they can pick up Creating a Life That Matters. How are you, Rivka? Thank you. Thank God. Okay. So you are a relations coach and with a degree in theology. How does a degree from theology translate into a relations coach, if I might ask? So first let me tell you a little bit about the book. Is that okay? Let's let's, let's hear a little bit about yourself first, maybe. Okay. So I was born in a Buddhist Taoist household. And I grew up um, in a Christian with a Christian education, 
And to my entire life, I was always searching. And I didn't know what I was looking for. I didn't know what it looks like, tastes like, smells like. But when I came to Yiddishkeit, when I came to Judaism, I felt home. This is what, I was, what I've been looking for. Um, while I was at Harvard, I was, um, I was still, I, that was pre-Judaism. And I felt that, you know, it didn't answer my questions about life. You know, I left Harvard with the, with the education. I had no idea what God, is, what God expects from us, what life is all about, which brings us to the book. So when I found out that I was um, going to be a mother for the first time at 40, I went into, you know, I was overjoyed, but I also wanted to leave my son with a manual, a life manual. You know, in the event that, God forbid, I didn't make it, I was a mature mom. I just wanted to make sure that my son knew who we were and what life is about. So I left him this, I wrote this book, which I call a life manual, because I wanted him to have that, um, you know, something to guide him through life from the beginning to the end, from dating, parenting, marriage, and everything in between, and God forbid, tragedy, and how to deal with them. I wanted to leave him the book that we all wanted, and we didn't get it. You know, we said, you know, life didn't come with a manual. We didn't know what we're doing. You know, they never taught us in school. And, um, and you know, we had to figure this out. So I wanted to make sure that my son did not have that issue, that he had the manual. And it was going to guide him through life. And hence, the result is this book. Oh, that's fascinating. So you cooperate. Mm-hmm. It says, actually, Manus Friedman has top billing on it. So, but he cooperate. Did he cooperate with you? Did you cooperate with him? How did how did Rabbi Friedman get involved? Rabbi Friedman is a legend of his own, and so essentially, I started when I was pregnant. I started writing my son a love letter. So that love letter essentially translated into this book that is based entirely on Rabbi Friedman's teachings. Because when when I was uh, you know when I was doing this project, this labor of love, I realized that you know Rabbi Friedman has has the answers, and there was no need to reinvent the wheels. So this book was very much based on his wisdom and, you know, his teachings. He's been counseling people for over 50 years. He's been teaching for over 50 years. And um, here we have a quintessential, you know, all summary of, of, of his basic teachings. Okay. So now, yes. it's, now it sounds like that the life manual, and I've often, often said this, yes. that, okay, life doesn't come with a manual, but... The Jews have the Torah, which we've used as a support and has been something that we've all fallen back on. So what have you done? So it sounds like you've incorporated Torah ideals. So explain your, your uh, way about going about that, Rifka Goldstein. So, yes, very well. You're, you're exactly correct that the Torah is our manual and the Torah is our guide. But I've also come from a perspective as a convert. I came from the world where it was unclear. There was a lot of confusion. There was no straight line answers about what, you know, God needs from Jews and what God needs, of, for that matter, what God needs from non-Jews. Um, so I, I use the word that life manual in a way that, you know, that's what people say. Um, you know, it's just a... It's just a you know, people say on the street that, you know, life doesn't come with a manual, and that's not true. You're correct about that. You're right about that. And so this book is a summary of, of uh, it, uh, let's just put it this way, it's a modern vernacular of what the, what the Torah is telling us, but in our, you know, in modern language, so to speak. Okay, let's, let's do this as sort of like an outline form. 
So mm-hmm. when a child's first born, the child really doesn't really need anything other than its mother to take care of it. So at that point, I would think that the book is geared more towards, should be geared towards the mother more than to the to the, the individual. And only then when the individual starts growing up, they would be needing uh, direction. So what, what would you say to the new mother then, Rifka Goldstein? So to raise an excellent child or a moral child, you yourself has to be that. You have to model, obviously. You need to know. Uh, you have to live a life that inspires your children. So what is a life that inspires your children? It's a life that is moral, a life that knows right from wrong and teaches, uh, you know, that's based on what God expects from us. And so I would say that for a new mother, that um, she should know that every, every you know, her every everything she says and her every move she makes is going to make an imprint on her child and that um, she doesn't have to be lost or confused. There are, there are you know, instructions, there are manuals, as we say, um, that, uh, that can guide her in her life. So she's never alone and that she should most definitely um, be inspired to live the life that what God expects because what God expects from us is eternal it's consistent, um, you know, it doesn't change from one day to another. Um, and if she sticks by that, and it, it should be, uh, it, will be, it will be easy. Okay. And I think it's important also to teach our children, it's the first chapter in the book to talk about the difference between living and existing. To live, uh, what's the difference as I teach my child? I say the difference between living and existing is that to exist, to, to exist, you have needs. I need, I want, I need mine, but life is about what do you need? What can I do for you? So it's important to teach children to know the difference from a very young age and that we should also know this difference uh, in, our, in our lives. Okay. Our guest, our guest today is Rifka Goldstein. She's written a book together with Rabbi Manus Friedman, Creating a Life That Matters, How to Live and Love with Meaning and Purpose. I see the second chapter of the book is life after death. Should we, right at the beginning, be worried about what's going to happen after we die? I mean, that, I think you'd leave that for the, like, the last chapter. <laughs> well, the book is separated into three main sections. So you could pick the chapters that you like, and you could read it just, you know, uh, pick, pick by chapters and read. Yeah. Okay. How old is your oldest? Thank God. I only have one. Thank God. He just turned 11, Baruch Hashem. Uh, okay. So um, yeah. you, you, you haven't answered my, you won't be able to answer my question because one of life's great challenges is teenagers. And I'm wondering if you've solved the problem of teenagers. But the answer is call you back in about uh, 10 years and we'll see how that goes. So <laughs> just, sure. just wait, Rivka. Just wait. So. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, one quick one quick word of advice to teenagers is give them an identity that's above them. You know, help them to rise above the current situation. Give them give them something that they're needed for. You know, instead of giving them what they need all the time, give them something above. Okay. Recently, Meaning to say that, you know, yeah. yeah. I understand. Okay. Now, um, recently, here in Michigan, there was a tragedy. I had, it made oh, yeah. national news. 
And mm. it was the perpetrated a deed which was perpetrated by a teenager. So the, there's, I suppose it might be a two-fold question for you. I know that not everybody has all the answers, but the first thing is what we'd like to see is how would such how could we as parents make it such that um, our kids aren't involved in such activities? And the second question, which is more important for right now, is what can one say to those who are the victims of such a tragedy, Rivka Goldstein? It's a long so, question. I know. So first of all, first of all, teenagers are by nature idealistic. They want to change the world. They feel that they can. They want to do something greater and bigger than themselves. And we have to let them and guide them in the in the path of of you know fulfilling that mission. So it's not true that you know they are not bendable and that you cannot impact or influence them. It's not true. You can you can influence them and direct them in the, in the in a way that that they could devote themselves completely to it. They just need to connect, find and connect with that higher purpose. So we shouldn't give them less. We should give them more. We shouldn't expect less. We should give, you know, expect more and, and certainly, you know, help them find an outlet where they can um, fulfill that ideal, that ideals that they have, which is to change the world for the better. So, so on the flip side, on the flip side, you know, when they don't have that, and they also, they, they think that uh, one of the ways to, to change the world is um, going that wrong path, so to speak. So, so even that person, that child that is, that is um, doing something that, that's negative, it's also in that mind frame of hoping that, you know, he, in his mind, he is changing, he is, he's trying to make an impact. Um, as for your second question, I'm not sure if I have an answer other than, you know, as a parent, as a mother, um, all you empathize and there's a lot of pain that you can't, you cannot, you, you cannot describe and explain, you know, so, so I don't have an answer for the second, mm-hmm. your second point. Yeah. Other than empathy and prayers, you know. Okay. So I see that you, you, you do address the idea of, of bad in the world. So, according to the way you perceive it, then why why is there bad Rifka Goldstein? So that's a this is a long drawn um, conversation. Um, we have time. That, that, so it's not that there is bad in the world. We don't have two gods. We don't have a god that is good or a god that is bad. There is no two gods in 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 creation. The very same God is in charge of both. Our job is to say, God, help us. And this is one of the prayers we say in the morning. We say to Hashem, we say, God, open my eyes, align my thoughts, help me to get in your brain, help me to see the world through your eyes and in, you know, through the way you see it. Because we don't see the big picture. So it's not that God, uh, so it's not as though that, you know, there's a separate God governing bad in the world. There's a, there's, a, there's a good God and a bad God. It's not like that. Okay. Could you elaborate on a little bit more, please? Because um, a lot of people are in the, the people look at <laughs> events that happen in the world and they say, that's really a horrible thing that happened. 
And there's really very little way to explain that it's not a horrible thing that happened. So could you elaborate, please, Rivka Goldstein? So God gave us all free choice. We all have free choice to do what within, you know, God, God gave us free choice to, to connect with him or not connect with him. This is the only time in our lives where we have freedom of choice. As for the, as for what we see that's happening in the world, you know, I think that, that explains it, that summarizes it. Okay, we'll leave it at that then. Okay, so there's two more parts to the book. The first one is like sort of like your major outlook on major outlook on life. The second part of the book deals with marriage. Okay, there are a zillion marriage books out there. What have and there's even a zillion marriage books written by eminent rabbis. So what has creating a life that matters? How to live and love with meaning and purpose, purpose added to the wealth of marriage books and Jewish marriage books that are out on the market, Rivka Goldstein. So Rabbi Freeman has one of the most um, interesting and great outlook on what marriage is about. And essentially, it's that God models for us Hashem Echad, Hashem modeled for us what marriage is about. Marriage is not about a thing. It's about you and me. It's about two people dissolving, becoming one. It's not about, um, it's not even about love. You know, people think that we should be, we should get married. If we love each other, we should get married. And Rabbi Freeman's take on this is very interesting because he explains it this way beautifully. He says, look, you know, love is an emotion. And by virtue, by virtue of being an emotion, it's unstable. It's up, it's down, it's sideways. You cannot build a home or a marriage based on something as flimsy as that. So we, we live in a culture that worship love. You know, love will see us through. Love never fails. Love will keep us together. Oh, no, it won't. You know, so it's all of this, ideal, this um, idol worshiping around the concept of love. But the truth is, what's more important is our oneness, our home. That we belong to each other, because if you, if you, if we understand that, if we understand that, that's what marriage is about. That's what, that's what we need to base our our, our home. Then we have a solid foundation, so that, so that when when your when your spouse wakes up one morning and the love isn't there, you still have each other. You don't have to throw the marriage out, because if you continue to respect each other. If you continue to be considerate, then the love will come. The love will surface again. Interesting. So, so you're mm-hmm. saying then that a good marriage is based on respect. Based on respect, based on consideration, um, based on the deep understanding that we are one. We are. We are together. We, you know, we are. We are. We belong with each other. It's like our relationship with Hashem. Hashem and us, we are one. And sometimes we are impossible. And Hashem looks at us and he's disgusted. But he doesn't throw us out. You know, we're still together. We're still, we're still united and we're still connected to Hashem. So it should be with that mentality that we go into our marriage. We should be the same. You know, anything, nothing should come between you and your husband. 
Nothing should come between you and your wife. If something comes between you, it's unholy. Toss it out because any separation is unholy. So any separation from God is not holy. We want to be united. And the same applies to marriage. Okay, understood. Okay, in the last mm-hmm. section, we are, mm-hmm. we are unfortunately running out of time for this segment of the show, but the mm-hmm. last section deals with parenting. And uh, there are so many advice books about parenting. You've also told, you know, give your child purpose, which is a very good, a very, a very, very, very good point. But um, what, what about in dealing with children that, I mean, every parent has an idea how I want my child to grow up. And every child has an idea how I want to grow up. <laughs> and that then leads to, I guess, suppose the generation gap, which was a t- term that was coined when I was a kid and which exists, has existed since, I guess, maybe Adam had Seth. There's been a generation ga- gaps. And uh, so what would you then say? How is it that parents and, more important, children should be able to get on the same page so that there isn't any, so, so we let's say minimize, we're not going to get rid of it, but minimize the tension of kids growing up, Rifka Goldstein. So obviously we have values that we want to impart to our children and we want them to grow up a certain way and, and, and live their life by certain values. But more important than anything, you need to make your child feel that they come first, that you're on their side. They need to feel that you're, con- you're connected. They need to feel that, that, you know, they, that you're not going to choose an external value over them. So now this is a tough one for a convert like me because I want so much to impart this beautiful, time-tested wisdom of Jewish values to my child. And, uh, and so one day he said to me, you know, Ima, I want to be Jewish, but I don't want to be Jewish-Jewish. And he was about six years old when he said that. And it was a wake-up call for me. And it made me realize that, okay, so in, in my effort or my zealousness in trying to impart to him these good values, I must have made him feel that, you know, that those values are more important than him. So, so I think it's important for us to, to do that, to make our children feel that when they come home from wherever they are, parents should light up. They should be happy to see their children and make them feel welcome, make them feel that, oh, you know what, together. At mealtime, there should not be any criticism. There should not be any conversation that is texting, that is difficult. Um, when you're sitting down to have dinner, you're nurturing your body. So we should also nurture, you know, their emotions and, and everything else that... Um, to make them feel safe. That's the word. That's the word that Rabbi Freeman says, that you should feel, make your children feel safe at mealtime. Um, so things like that. If you, if you and your children are what we say tight, if you're tight with your kids, then you have a better, better chance of, of influencing them in, in, in a good way, better chance of impacting their lives. You know? And if they feel that you don't understand them and you don't get them, then that's when they want, they, they're going to go elsewhere to look for, look for, you know, affirmation and and validation. So we should give our children what they need, security, comfort at home and all of that. And then from that place, we show them the good way. Mm -hmm. And how do you, Riff Goldstein, relate to your parents whose values you rejected? 
so this is the difficulties for me because I didn't grow up with, um, with everything that I put in the book. I was very much a neglected child. I had to navigate and figure out life on my own very much. Um, you know, I had to initi- initi- initiate myself to womanhood. I had to find my way. So I was a very much a neglected child uh, in that way. Um, so because of that, I think that my passion and my this, I have this urgent need to make sure that my child's not going to be lost and that he's going to have, uh, you know, a blueprint, so to speak, uh, to guide him through life in the event that I'm not here, that he will have that. So even though I, my fiscal parents uh, were, were there, they were very much uh, absent in, in so many ways. Uh, so I thank God for, for them because um, obviously that was my path, that was my journey. Um, all the difficulties, all the difficulties in childhood, all the difficulties growing up, all of that was part of my journey. Okay, understood. So, that's going to yeah. do it for us. The book, we are again today, our guest has been Rivka, Rivka Goldstein, who has collaborated with Rabbi Manus Friedman, composed a book called Creating a Life That Matters, How to Live in Love with Meaning and Purpose. It is published by It's Good to Know Publishing and is available at that website, goodtoknowpublishing.com. Do you have a website, Rivka, that people might be able to get in touch with you if they have questions about your book or general questions or they, they see that you're a, uh, a relations expert, maybe they have some relations questions for you, and do you have a radio show where people call in and ask you questions? So I do have a website. It's askdodarivka.com. Ask, D-O-D-A-R-I-V-K-A.com. So Doda means and. So I'm the community's and so I asked asked com. yes. Um, you can reach me there. Okay, wonderful. And we wish you continued success. And uh, is there going to be a sequel Amen. to, like, creating a life? Maybe you know, now that you've made a life, Rivka? Baruch Hashem. Okay, we'll take care of that. Okay, we wish you all the best and uh, take care. We're going to take we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. It's time for some music. This is Yair Cohen. He's a sensation in Israel. The song is called Shir Emuna, a song of faith. Shall 
We all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. We have a little klezmer for the klezmer aficionados. The song is, the group is called Mit Nagim which means the opponents. I, don't, I couldn't find anything about why they called themselves the opponents or what they were opposed to, but they play a pretty mean uh, klezmer. The song's called Klezmer Dance, and if you feel like getting up and dancing, well, do that, but, but not if you're listening to this show while you're in, driving in the car. Let's listen. <laughs> Thank you. 
And that was Mitnagdim, the Klezmer dance. Up next, this is the Malchus Choir. We've played them many times before. This is Lachado D, which is traditional Friday night, and I think you'll like this rendition. of quality and excellence in kosher look for the michigan k on the label what's it look like the lower peninsula of michigan with a k it's the symbol of the michigan kosher supervisors go to their website mycosup.com that's mi for michigan ko for kosher and sup for supervisors mycosup.com and find this month's featured products you'll find michigan k products wherever fine food is sold especially at natural food patch on west nine mile road in ferndale Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. This week, we will be reading in the synagogue the portion of Shmos, which can be found at the very beginning of the book of Exodus. We're still doing really good Bible story stuff, so if you're into story time, well, this is it. But just to remember that this is not just stories, that there's really deep stuff going on over here. So the book is called the Book of Shmos in Hebrew. We have this rule that whatever something is called by its name in Hebrew is an indication of what the thing is. The name Exodus really makes a lot of sense because what's the book about? It's about the Jews leaving Egypt. You have Moses getting born. No, even before that, you have the Jews getting enslaved in in slavery in Egypt, and then Moses getting born, and then the next week he talks to God, and we have the beginning of the whole problem with uh, we have some of the yeah we have some of the plagues next week, and then after that we have some more plagues, and then they have the splitting of the sea and the giving of the Torah. And then the, the table drops off as far as stories go, and it starts listing mitzvahs, which were relevant to the Jews living in the desert. So it, it really is about the exodus. The word shmos means names. And what is it called? Why is it, 
why is this portion of the week called Shmos and the name of the book called Shmos is because the f- portion starts, these are the names of Jacob's 12 sons and lists them, Reuben, Shimon, etc., etc. Which, by the way, at this point, you could ask any f- 10-year-old who's gone to school, what are the names of Jacob's 12 sons? And they'd be able to rattle them off even before they started the book of Exodus. It's not a, it's not a, nothing, it's nothing new. We've already had it. We had it in Parshish Vayetze, uh, where they were named. And we had it in Parshish Vayigash, where there's told all the names of the people who came. We had it in the last week's portion, Vayechi, where they're given the brachas. So we we know the names. So why then? So what is the what is it about the names that that we call the portion of the week and we call the entire book? Okay? When twelve weeks from now, when we're concerned with the final building of the sanctuary in the desert, we we're not thinking about the names of the twelve sons of Jacob. So what's the what is so what's the deal? That's the question. What were their names? Their names were Shimon, Reuven, Levi, Yehuda. They didn't change their names when they were in exile to Robin, Simon, Levi, Judah. I don't know what Yisachar would have changed his name to. Or Zavulin, you know, just like... It was a way for them to maintain their identity. In fact, our sages go so far as to say that because the Jewish people, the whole time that they were in exile, maintained their Jewish culture by speaking Hebrew, not adopting Egyptian names, and sticking to Jewish clothing, not not wearing the fashions that were being set in downtown whatever the capital was uh, of, of Egypt at that time. Not looking at the fashion houses, but looking and said, this is the way Jews dress. By trying to maintain their identity, it says that's what was able to get them out. Okay, now let's analyze that. What, God couldn't see who was and wasn't? If you got somebody by the name of Harry and he's wearing a blue suit and he's speaking English, God's not going to know he's Jewish? I certainly hope so because <laughs> in West Bloomfield, I'm sure there's a Jew by the name of Harry and I'm sure he's got a blue suit, whether it's in a Maldazania or whether it's you know a Brooks Brothers or whether it's an off-the-rack $99 suit that he got at, at Marshall's or wherever. And he's speaking English only. You don't think God's going to know that he's Jewish and that when Mashiach comes, he's going to say, hey, Herschel, time to go. And Harry, also known as Herschel, is going to pick himself up. And don't think my name is is Harry. It's not. I just, it's a name that fell into my head. God's not going to know who's Jewish. When Mashiach comes, Mashiach is not going to know who's who's supposed to leave. 
it says that in the merit of these three things. Because in Egypt, they didn't have Torah. They didn't have mitzvahs. They had it really tough. First of all, they were trailblazers. They didn't know what exile was like. They didn't know the hardships that it could bring. Nor did they understand that there's the, the, the powers of leaving exile and moving to Israel. They needed a hook for God to like grab onto. So all they had was their Jewish identity. For us living in exile and all the Jews today, even the 7 million Jews that live in something that we call Israel are in exile. And if you have a question about it, you can drop me a line at rabbifinman.com. We're all in exile, but we don't have to rely just on our names, on our language, on our style of dress. And in fact, the Lubavitcher, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe said that he wanted to see Torah, Judaism, Judaic studies translated into vernacular, especially the Tanya, which is a uh, classic esoteric philosophical book which encapsulates the uh, entirety of Hasidic thought. And he wanted it to be brought to the vernacular. And so in his lifetime, it was translated into Yiddish. And since it's been translated into English, Russian, Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, Arabic, German, I think, oh, French, I think Swiss, not Swiss, uh, Swedish, I'm not sure what other languages. I think there was a push for it to get translated into South Koreans because the South Koreans, you know, they like to learn Talmud. So they figured, oh, there's this Tanya thing also, you know. So one day we're going to have a whole influx of <laughs> South Koreans that want to be Jewish. So we have the Torah and the mitzvahs. But you can say, wait a minute, Harry out in West Bloomfield, he, he doesn't know mitzvahs. All he knows is that he's Jewish. Or maybe he doesn't even know that he's Jewish. But it says, even the most negligent of Jews, somebody who doesn't, who if you ask him, he says, I don't do mitzvahs, I don't do the commandments. If you analyzed his deeds, you would see, as the expression goes in the Talmud, that he is filled with mitzvahs as a pomegranate is filled with seeds. So his merit is going to be the handle that the Almighty is going to grab on to schlep all of us out of exile. And it'll be even better than in Egypt, because in Egypt it said that when they, once the Jews gave up their identities, there was no way for them to hang on. When they started getting involved with Egyptian culture and changing their names, they got lost. They, they didn't leave Egypt. They died in Egypt. They didn't get schlepped out. Harry in West Bloomfield, he's got no choice. He's going because, like it or not, he's got a big hook. And the Almighty is just going to grab that hook under the directions of Mashiach and sweep him out of, out of exile. And we hope that that's going to happen like today with the advent of the Messianic era. 
We are going to take a quick commercial break, and we have this amazing story. So I'd like you to stick around for the amazing story. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the -the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman, here you're listening to the Jewish Hour. Want to get in touch with me? Website. If you're at the website listening to this podcast, well, wait till the end of the podcast and then flip over to the homepage and there's a contact link. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Odyssey.com, whatever else where you listen to your podcasts, well, while you're listening, you could flip over to RabbiFinman.com and you can contact me. And if you have any questions, queries, criticisms, comments, or otherwise, love to hear from you. What else is on RabbiFinman.com? Well, we have archived editions of the show. We have other ways in which we present Judaism in a hopefully educational, entertaining way. And we have the very important donations page. It is January, folks, and we're almost paid for November. Almost. So I have a very uh, strong feeling that this week, even though it's like the first of the year already and like the year-end giving came in, we're going to be done with November. So so that means November, December, and now January is three months that we have to put up. So if you could, and even if you can't, go to the donations page and click on whatever donation it is that you happen to click on. There's numbers there. And if you don't like any of those numbers, there happen to be an infinite number of numbers. Okay, but you can only give uh, in positive integers. Okay, we don't do negative numbers as far as our gift giving goes. And you could make it a monthly thing if you like. You could do it a one-time deal. You could do it through PayPal. You could do it through credit card. And uh, it's all all simple. It's all very well and good. Okay, if you'd prefer to do Zoom, then I would suggest you go to our sister website, which is jewishferndale.com, and there you'll find a telephone number, and you can Zoom to the telephone number. I don't think that the telephone number was ever put on my rabbifinman.com and at rabbi at jewishferndale.com you'll see what we're doing at jewishferndale because on january 7th which is a sunday we're having a brunch this is our first brunch book talk brunch with author baruch cohen who was on the jewish hour a month and a half ago or so you can click back through the archives and you can listen to the interview about him talking about Thinking Outside the Locks, and he's going to talk more about it and share some insights into his book and uh, 
And it comes with a brunch, and uh, you can sign up for that at jewishferndale.com. It's all there. It's all good. So do that today. The Hasidic story took place sometime in the 1840s, early 1850s in Russia. There was a family, and... I'm going to say actually probably happened in the mid-1850s. There was a family, and they had an only son, and they received a draft notice for their only son. Now, the Russians had a thing that if your son was an only child, they didn't have to go into the draft. There's, it's, that's very common all over the place. I mean, Israel has that. I'm not, I don't think America, when they had the draft, had that. But there are there are lots of countries that do have that. And Russia had it. But at that time, the it was it was changed. The rules were changed. And if you're Jewish and you're an only son, well, you got to still be drafted. So they got the notice. Report to the draft board on this date. So the father ran to... The Tzemach Tzedek, the third Lubavitch Rebbe in Lubavitch. And pleaded, can you do something? Can you help? Can you give some kind of blessing? And uh, the Rebbe listened, and he listened very intently. And he said, I can't do anything for you. I'm sorry. Which for Rebbe to say that is like, that's unheard of. What do people have Rebbe's for? Rebbe's intercede on behalf of people. They say, I'll pray for him. I'll give you a blessing. The Tzemach Tzedek was being true. He said, I don't know. This is, you guys are kind of messed. Translation is my own. Now, this Chosid was uh, on good speaking terms with the Tzemach Tzedek's youngest son, who later became the Rebbe. His name was Shmuel, the Marash. And he went to him, and he told him his case and said, please go ask your father for a bracha. And the son went to the father and said, listen, what's doing with this guy, with his son? It's only son, and he needs a blessing. He needs help. He said, the Samochzedek looked at his son and said, what can I do? I can't help him. And the son, knowing enough about the father, didn't like say, oh, come on, dad. Well, you know, you could do something. You have, you have a right. No. He understood that with the, the seriousness by which his father said, I can't do anything. He couldn't do anything. A couple of weeks go by. It's getting closer. And the guy comes back again to plead his case with the Rebbe. And the Rebbe still insists, I can't do anything for you. It's like two days before that he's supposed to go into the induction center. The day before he goes into the induction center, he's scheduled to go into the induction center, the Tzemach Tzedek, the Rebbe, asks his son Shmuel, bring me a Medrash Tanchuma. There's like a commentary on the Torah written by Rabbi Tanchuma, uh, second century Israel. And he wrote it, there's a, a verse uh, in, in Exodus that talks about lending money. And what is it that says in Medrash Tanchuma? I'm reading. Says the Holy One, blessed be he. A poor person was struggling for his life to escape starvation. And you gave him a coin and saved his life. 
I promise that I will pay you back a life for a life. If tomorrow your son and daughter will be seriously ill or in a life-threatening situation, I will remember the good deed that you did, and I will pay you back a life for a life. Two days later, word comes to Lubavitch that for no apparent reason, the son showed up at the induction center and said, go home, we don't need you. It's like, what? So the the father and the mother, they came to, uh, no, no, no. This uh, Reb Shmuel traveled to Vitebsk where the family lived and said, I got to find out what happened. So he asked, he went to the family and said, what did you do on the day that you were supposed to be, he's supposed to go be drafted? And he said, I didn't do anything. I, 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 I was crying the whole time. And the wife also said, I didn't do anything. She said, wait a minute. There was a pauper who came to our house. And he said that he hadn't eaten in several days. And he was starving. Could we give him some food? And at first I told him, listen, we're busy. We have this son who's getting inducted. But then I said, wait a minute. We made this whole meal like a goodbye to our son. And none of us feel like eating it. So she invited the pauper in. She fed this guy. She gave him food to take with him. And he went on his way full and happy. So with that, the Marash said, I understood. You fed somebody today, and tomorrow a life for a life was saved. That's going to do it. We hope you had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. We hope to see you back again next week. Take care. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.